0: I speak for many of us preachers' kids when I say that I grew up at church. I haven't done the exact calculations on it, but I would wager that I spent more hours of my childhood at the church house than at my own. So I often had to get creative with finding ways to entertain myself. I'm pretty sure I've watched every VHS of VeggieTales multiple times discovered all of the good hiding spots, and spent a lot of time in the craft closet. I even found joy in sliding pennies into the financial drop box, much to our bookkeeper's chagrin. And maybe it was the fact that I knew I wasn't supposed to, or maybe I just had a lot of energy to burn off. But for some reason, the most enticing activity was simply running around the building, Bonus points if you were barefoot. So one day when I was probably about five years old and the building was relatively empty, I took off running for some reason. And it wasn't long before I tripped and fell. My home church was built in the 1850s, so the floor outside of the sanctuary is raw brick. And as luck would have it, this is the section that tripped me up. So just as the tears were starting to fall, I saw senior pastor Dr. Jim Trice walking down the hall coming straight for me. I was embarrassed. I knew that I was probably in trouble. I don't remember getting scolded, though. In fact, I don't remember him saying anything at all. Twenty-five years later, what stuck with me in my memory is that Dr. Trice scooped me up, carried me to my mom's office, and helped me find a band-aid. The man who represented the church to me at the time, the one who was in charge of keeping order and following rules, he was only concerned that I was taken care of. This interaction is not what I was expecting. When's the last time that the church surprised you, particularly on the side of grace? Something we continually see throughout the parables and something that Kevin highlighted last week is that the kingdom of God is never quite what you expect. Today's text picks up where we left off in Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. So listen now for the word of the Lord. He told another parable to them the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and planted in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it's grown, it's the largest of all vegetable plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds in the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in a bushel of wheat flour until the yeast had worked its way through all the dough." This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week, Kevin taught us that parables are fictional stories that reflect truths about who God is and what God is like. Jesus' parables aren't rules, commands, or even doctrines. are instead open-ended invitations to struggle, to wonder, to see the world from unexpected angles. We want to be able to approach a parable like a puzzle, to crack the code and to say with certainty what Jesus meant through the story that he told. But Jesus doesn't offer such certainty. Instead, Jesus throws off our cozy theological comforters and allows us to be perplexed. And as much as we humans enjoy being short, this mystery into which Jesus invites us is a gift. It's an invitation toward a kingdom imagination. Have you ever wondered why there are so many parables about the kingdom? Why do we need so many images and comparisons? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and like yeast, and it's like hidden treasure, and it's like a fishing net. Well, which one is it, Jesus? Perhaps there are as many illustrations of the kingdom of heaven as there are people to imagine it. Or maybe it's a more honest question to ask ourselves, what is it that we need for the kingdom of heaven to be like? I think Jesus spends so much energy with these different descriptions because we so desperately need to be reminded that the kingdom is already present, even though it is not fully realized. That we live in the gap between the already and the not yet that even when the kingdom is not seen, it is, in fact, near. So why mustard seed? And why yeast? My best guess is that Jesus was going for the shock factor. Not only were mustard seeds and yeast ordinary common objects, they both had negative connotations for those living in the first century. Yeast was a symbol of corruption. And mustard seed? Jesus might as well have been saying, heaven is like a kudzu vine that completely takes over your backyard. (laughs) But Jesus knew what he was doing. He was intentional with the words he chose and the images he was creating. Jesus understood the power of his words. They weren't merely tools to describe something. Rather, they actually brought it forth. He was text painting, the invasive reality of God's rule at work in the world. Jesus wasn't just warning the people not to judge something based on size, although that may still be a good lesson. But Jesus was infiltrating the minds and preconceived ideas of their concept of God's kingdom, much like a mustard plant takes over a field or like yeast, acts as an agent to double the size of the dough. So as we dig into the parable this morning, my task is not to explain what the parable means, but to invite us all toward that kingdom imagination. What is the image that's created when we become aware of God's action in our lives? And might it be something altogether different from what we expect? When we know a little bit about the science behind the mustard seed, the symbolism starts to make a little more sense. The mustard seed may not actually be the smallest of all seeds, but it is pretty tiny. As I was writing this sermon, I put one mustard seed on my desk for inspiration, and that thing is long gone. But from one tiny mustard seed, there is evidence of shoots three days after the seed has cracked and broken. And in 50 days, that plant will produce seeds that spread all over the garden. A humble beginning, a resurrection three days after breaking, and a Pentecost of multiplication. I think Jesus might have been onto to something here. Out of all of the plants in the world to compare with the kingdom of heaven, why mustard? It's an extremely useful plant in all of its stages. Just ask any winemaker. You'll see their vineyard covered in yellow flowers of mustard plants. And it's not just because it's a weed, but they're intentionally planted as cover crops because the nitrogen that's released when plowed back into the soil fertilizes the vineyard. Not to mention it acts as an insect repellent. We know that mustard was a common spice. It was used in medicine, And the flowers on the plant were used for decoration. So perhaps God's kingdom is like a mustard seed in that it provides a way to bring forth flavor, healing, and beauty. But Jesus doesn't leave it at that. He goes on to say that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman mixed with flour— And this seems like such a strange pairing, especially considering that the concept of the sandwich wouldn't be discovered for another 1,700 years. It matters that the bread in question is sourdough. And if baking was your COVID quarantine project, maybe you know a little about this process. The importance of fermentation and kneading and waiting. The yeast literally contaminates the flour, it eats it and it sours it. And after some time and some pressure, the yeast changes the composition of the loaf from the inside out. And Jesus also takes care to mention the quantity of flour, a bushel, other translations say three measures, which would be about 10 gallons or enough to feed 150 people. A little bit of yeast that makes a big impact. It infiltrates and changes the chemistry of the flour, souring it, but also allowing it to become enough bread to feed a crowd. In his book God Breathe, Zach Hunt writes, we need to make space and allow the spirit to move among us, teaching us the story of the good news, but also helping us imagine new ways the good news can be understood and applied in the ever-evolving context of history and culture. I learned a term from the Great British Bake Off for when yeast is mixed with flour and allowed to rest. It's called proving the dough. This is the crucial time when the yeast is at work, multiplying, and causing the dough to leaven. Well, in the first century, they didn't have yeast in packets. So they would take a bit of old dough, like a starter, and mix it with fresh flour to get the same effect. So maybe here we're seeing the importance of the faith that has come before while also allowing room to be grown and multiplied and transformed into something new. Faith honors wisdom while it also makes room for growth. Faith blesses who we are and leads us beyond ourselves. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God isn't what we often expect. It takes what we think is ruined and soured, and instead it rises and transforms it and multiplies it so that the whole community is fed with its goodness. When we realize that Jesus isn't talking about mustard or bread, he's actually talking about the seed and the yeast and what they have in common, their potential of what they can do. Both are things that alone are dormant. They are humble beginnings. Yet when paired with a receptor, they are transformed into more than what they were alone. These images were unexpected. But even as the people might have looked at him with incredulous expressions, I imagine Jesus standing firm, saying, I said what I said. It's extremely important to remember the historical and political context through which Jesus was living and teaching. Jesus and his hearers were under the rule of Rome, a militaristic empire that justified extortion, rape, murder, dehumanization on every level. Civil unrest was at an all-time high. And it was in this moment, this political climate, that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like when a woman mixes yeast with flour to make bread. In this moment, when we think that all has been spoiled, this is the moment when the dough will rise. This is the moment where the kingdom of God exists. This is the moment where God is already at work and also God invites us to partner in that work. We too live in a world where wealth calls the shots, power controls the narrative, and mercy is often the gateway for being taken advantage of. God's realm of peace and justice and humility is anything but expected. And it doesn't rely on force, but instead makes its presence known through small actions, much like a consistently growing sprout or a slowly rising dough. Faith is taking the wisdom that we have, mixing it with reality, and trusting. That what is beyond this moment will meet us as we integrate now into what's next. It's embracing that we live in the gap between the already and the not yet. That the kingdom of God is near and is already at work, and yet there is so much more to come. There is so much more work to be done. We are not to wait idly for magic to appear, but we are charged with giving thanks for all that is while boldly asking, what kingdom work is mine to do? What humble beginnings can I offer? If you had the honor of knowing our former district superintendent, Autura Eason Williams, you know that she dreamed a big dream for our city. And here's how she described it in her own words. Everyone thinks I'm crazy when I say this, but my wildest dream is that we will create a community where people do not have to steal. A community where people feel safe because they have created safe spaces where they trust each other and they become neighbors to each other. You think about that and you think, That shouldn't be too hard, but for whatever reason, it is. I just believe that it's possible, and God shows us glimpses every day. What is the kingdom of God like to you? What is your wildest dream for this world? Just because we are in humble beginnings does not mean that we should shy away from God-sized dreams. I encourage you to imagine it. What image or feeling or inspiration has God entrusted to you about the kingdom? And as you imagine, pay attention to what's happening in that image, and maybe even more importantly, what's not happening in that image. Who's there? And what does it feel like? I hope you'll share your kingdom imagination with someone and then get to work making it a reality. It won't happen all at once. I believe that for the most part, God's work in this world happens in small, faithful actions. A kind and intentional word, offering someone the gift of your attention using your vacation time to lead a youth trip, speaking up when you see injustice. These are moments that might not ever be considered newsworthy, but they sure make a difference. So go ahead and plant that one seed. Mix in that handful of yeast. Maybe today we'll do the thing that no one will even see. And believe that it will be multiplied and transformed into something that brings about God's unexpected kingdom. Right here. And right now. May it be so.